Have you ever had it happen where you try to do somebody a favor and it like totally blows up in your face and you end up being the one holding the bag? I, um, I think I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again because it's such a good one. A number of years ago, I had, uh, I had wanted to sign up to take a motorcycle safety class. And I called my buddy Sean. I knew Sean was interested too. And so I asked Sean, would, you know, do you want to take this motorcycle safety class with me? And he said, totally, I'm in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, fine. I said, I'll call the school tomorrow and, I'll, and read, I'll register us both. I'll put both of our registrations on my credit card. You can pay me back later. It's just the easiest way to do it. And he appreciated it. So I called and I registered us both. Well, fast forward a bunch of weeks and Sean calls me just a week or so before the course. He says, he says buddy, he says, I got bad news. He says, I can't go. I said, what do you mean? He says, no, I can't, can't participate. I got to drop out. So I'm going to call the school and cancel my registration. And I said, you know what? I said, don't, don't bother. I said, let me call the school. It's on my credit card anyway. They're going to have to pay me. So it's just easier if I call and I'll cancel for you. And he appreciated that. So I hung up and I dialed the school. And as the phone was ringing at the other end, um, I suddenly had this thought, I bet you I'm not going to be allowed to cancel Sean's registration because I'm not Sean. And I said, no problem. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to pretend to be Sean and I'll cancel the, the, his registration for him. And the, the woman picks up the phone. She says, Niagara College, how can I help you? And I said, listen, I need to cancel a registration for a motorcycle safety class. And she said, certainly I can do that for you. What's your name? I said, my name is Sean Moffat. She said, that's great, Mr. Moffat. She said, uh, what's the date of the class? I told her, she said, yep, I can see your registration. I'm just going to go ahead and cancel that for you. I'll refund your credit card. She says, just uh, for the sake of security, though, I do need to ask you, what's your birthday, Mr. Moffat? Very long pause <laughs> at my end of the telephone. I hadn't known Sean that long. <laughs> and I said to her, you know, you would think that my birthday is a piece of information that I would have, uh, but I, I don't know when my birthday is because I've got to tell you, and then I just confess the whole thing. I'm not Sean Moffat, blah, blah, blah. And she had a great laugh at my expense that she canceled the registration anyway. But there was something in me, and this is what I don't understand. There was something in me in that moment that decided that in order to get this done, honesty was not going to be the best policy. That in order to get this done, dishonesty was going to get me there faster than being honest. And I wonder how many people in all of our locations have made that same decision. I mean, put up your hand if you're honest, if you're courageous enough and honest enough. Put up your hand if you've lied in the last 24 hours. And I can't see you, but uh, you know, you could take a look around the room. You see the hands that are in the air. Those are the liars. Do not believe anything these people. No, 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 no. These are the people who are honest about the fact that they've told the lie in the last 24 hours. For those of you whose hands are not in the air right now, one of three things is true. Either you haven't genuinely haven't told a lie or you've forgotten that you've told a lie, right? Like how many of you, have given an insincere compliment in the last 24 hours. Put your hand up. How many of you have 
lied to be polite and spare somebody's feelings? Put your hand up. How many of you have lied and said you're busy or you've got to go when you really didn't have to go because you were trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation? Right? More hands go up. And now if your hands are still in your lap, it's either true that you did not tell a lie in the last 24 hours or you are lying about being a liar, which is a whole meta level of dishonesty. The truth is all of our hands should be in the air because we're fundamentally dishonest people. We have this impulse in us. Psychologists say it begins to grow in us around the age of two or three. In fact, there was work done at U of T um, that with children said that the children around the age of two years old, 30% of them demonstrate a, a propensity to be dishonest. By three years old, uh, 50% of children have figured out how to be dishonest and demonstrate a propensity to be dishonest. By the time children are eight years old in this study, 80% of children are behaving dishonestly in the experiment. And as somebody who has parented two and three and eight-year-old children, I'm going to tell you those numbers are all lies. <laughs> the numbers are way higher than that. We are fundamentally dishonest people. Statistically speaking, by the time you reach mature adulthood, you are lying on average four times a day, every day, day in and day out, 1,460 lies every single year. And I shouldn't paint with a super broad brushstroke because the statistics aren't that even. Men lie uh, at twice the rate that women do. Men lie about six times a day. Women lie about three times a day. Uh, perhaps holding political office skews the statistics. But on average, every one of us lies four times a day. In fact, they, they did brain scans on people with regards to dishonesty. You know what they discovered? With every lie that we tell, uh, the immeasurable emotional reaction of stress and anxiety and discomfort that comes with being untruthful is diminished with every single lie that we tell. Even as the lies grow more outrageous, the stress and anxiety and guilt and discomfort diminishes, which means to say with every lie that we tell, we become more prone to tell the next lie. We are uh, creative in the ways that we lie. I mean, some people are just brazen enough to just say things that are demonstrably not true. But most of us aren't like that. Most of us lie by manipulating truth, exaggerating it a little bit here, minimizing some details a little bit over there to, to shade the story over in a particular direction. Or we lie by our uh, ambiguity, right? We say, we play games with words. We say things in just such a specific way so that I'm technically being truthful, though my intent is still to deceive. Which, by the way, the definition of a lie is the intention to deceive. We lie by our silence. You can say nothing and lie. When you withhold critical information or when somebody else says something that isn't true and your silence allows that untruth to stand as people's perception of reality, that is dishonest. We lie with our bodies. We lie with our gestures, our tone of voice. We lie with our facial uh, features. 
We lie when we posture, when we pretend to be something that we're not. We lie by the way that we dress, when we try to present ourselves in a certain way. We lie all the time. And we do it for one fundamental reason. We lie because we're selfish. Studies show 44% of all the lies that we tell, we tell in order to promote ourselves, to give ourselves an economic advantage, a personal advantage in a set of circumstances to, to sharpen, you know, make our image more positive in other people's eyes, to make people laugh so that they'll like us more. We lie to promote ourselves 44% of the time. 36% of the time, we lie to protect ourselves. We lie to cover up mistakes, to cover up sins. We lie, um, we lie in order to get out of uncomfortable situations or to avoid dealing with uncomfortable people. 44 plus 36 is 80. 80% of our lives are do, we tell in order to positively improve our own situation. 11% uh, of the lies we tell are because of the impact they have on other people. So whether we lie to hurt people intentionally, whether we lie by being polite and saying things that aren't true in order to spare somebody's feelings, or whether we lie to protect somebody, which is maybe the most altruistic form of lie. And then 9% of the lies we tell, we don't even know why we do them. Sometimes we tell untruths and we don't even know why we lied. There was no reason to lie. And some people are just pathological and there's something broken in their soul and that's the minority. But we lie for this one reason because the vast majority of those reasons have to do with me and what I get, me getting my way. The vast majority of our lies we tell for one reason because we value getting what we want more than we value being who Christ wants. We value our goals more than we value our character. It's just pure selfishness. Which is probably why as we move towards the end of the book of James, as James moves into the conclusion of his book where he starts to talk about the things that he really, really needs to get on the record as his closing argument before he's done, the stuff he wants people to remember what James chooses to address is our honesty. This is what he says in James chapter 5, verse 12. This is the verse we're going to look at today. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters, above all, think about that. Above all, think about all the things we've talked about in the last year. All the ways that James has called out unacceptable behavior. All the ways James has confronted his community and our community and my life. And think about all the uncomfortable conversations we've had in this last year. James arrives at the end. He says, now listen, above all of that, here's what I want. Do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. James says, at the end, end, end of the day, what I want for you is for you to be a person known for their truthfulness. He says, don't swear an oath by heaven to earth. Swearing oaths in the ancient world was this incredibly pervasive behavior. Everybody did it and they took it super seriously in ways that we do not in our culture. Um, I mean, people will say kind of the equivalent in 21st century 
cultures when somebody says, no, that's true, I swear. And people say that or they even say, no, you know, I swear to God that I'm telling the truth. But we don't really take it all that seriously. It's not a serious thing. For them, it was a religious act to swear an oath that God would attest that they were telling the truth. Uh, In two different ways. There were two different kind of oaths. There were assertive oaths, which was sort of an oath where you're saying the thing that I am saying right now is true. And I'm going to certify it by swearing on a stack of Bibles that it's real. The other kind was a promissory oath, which was a commitment. I promise I'm going to do this or that. And I swear to God, I'm going to do it. Um, Was sort of the feeling of the oath. But it was was serious and it was solemn and it was religious. It was a spiritual thing. It was meant earnestly to certify that I was going to be truthful. And the most solemn, serious oaths, the most significant oaths that you could take in the ancient world to guarantee your truthfulness were oaths that were taken in the name of God. Right? For us, we now care about mothers more than we care about God. So if somebody says, I swear to God it's true, kind of like, ah, I don't know if I believe you. If somebody says, I swear on my mother's grave, now you're like, well, maybe I'll take that a little bit more seriously. For them, it was, if you wanted to, to certify your truthfulness, you swear in the name of God that what you're saying is true. But that created a problem. Because the Jewish people back then and now Uh, do not say the name of God. So the rabbis affirmed, they said, no, the most serious sacred oath that you can take is in the name of God. Oh, by the way, you're not allowed to say the name of God. So how do you swear in the name of God if you're not allowed to say the name of God? Well, you have to find a substitute for God to put in that blank. And so people would say, I I swear by the temple. I swear by the altar in the temple. I swear by the sacrifice on the altar in the temple. I swear by the gold on the walls in the temple. Or they would say, you know, I swear by heaven and earth. I swear by all that is holy. I swear by the city of Jerusalem. Just whatever could stand in the place of the presence and power of God. They would kind of use those as oaths. But then what the rabbis had to do, and there's all, you can read this legislation. What they had to do was sort out which one of those oaths, which one of those substitutions counted and which ones didn't. So they'd say, well, if you swear by the altar in the temple, that counts and you have to be truthful. But if you swear by the gold on the altar in the temple, that doesn't count and you don't ha- you're not bound by that oath. Interestingly enough, James says, don't swear by heaven or earth or anything else. The rabbis say, if you swear by heaven or if you swear by earth, you are not bound by your oath. You can swear by heaven that what you're saying is true and then tell a lie and it's, your oath was not binding. And so you see what begins to happen. People start to choose their oaths very carefully so that they can swear, they can give the impression of being truthful and then actually still have an open door to deceive. And what was, you know, swearing to God, which was meant to underline truth, served to undermine truth. And people used to use these oaths to play games with the truth. They used to use the oaths in order to speak truthfully, to to say things that sound truthful and still be able to deceive. And James says, just stop it. Stop all of it. Don't swear on anything at all. He says, stop, stop being people who are misrepresenting reality by not saying, by saying things that just aren't true. 
Stop being people who are playing games with language so that you can say something that is technically true, but still intended to deceive. Stop being people who are deceiving people by your silence, allowing people to believe a mistruth because you never stood up for the truth. Stop being people who are pretending to be something that you're not, who are posing and posturing and and, um kind of doing image creation and brand management, stopping people who are pretending to be something you're not. Just stop with the dishonesty and be the kind of person who is known for your truthfulness. Be the kind of person so that when you say yes, people know you mean yes. Because when you say, yes, that's true, It's because that, yes, that is true. When you say, yes, I will do this, it's because, yes, you're literally going to do that. Or when you say, no, that's false, it's because it's false. And people can take your truthfulness to the bank. James says, cut out all the games that we play with dishonesty. Cut out all the games we play with the truth and just be a person who says what they mean and who means what they say, period. I think the reason why James is so worked up about truthfulness is because he understands the dangers of dishonesty, right? James says, you know, be a truthful person, be someone who's known for the truth, He says, otherwise you will be condemned. Now, it kind of sounds like if you tell a little white lie, God is going to come down on you like a sumo wrestler. God's going to start throwing lightning bolts from the sky. That's not what James means. Literally, that phrase is translated literally as, otherwise you will fall into judgment. Now, when we fall into things, What we mean is that something happens to us suddenly and unexpectedly that was not what we were planning to do or trying to do or necessarily even wanted to do. You can fall into love. You can fall into money. You can fall into a career. You can fall into the wrong crowd. You can suddenly and unexpectedly find yourself experiencing circumstances that you did not intend or look out for or even want. And James says, if you live a life where you prioritize dishonesty, you will fall into judgment. Now in the scriptures, judgment typically refers to people experiencing the natural consequences of the choices that they've made. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That if you choose to work for sin, when payday comes, what you, you will be paid back in the form of death. The reward you will receive for your sinful choices is destruction. That's what that verse means. And James knows that, that a life of dishonesty reaps death and destruction. It's, it's the death and destruction of our character and our conscience. I said before, every lie that we tell inoculates us a little bit more again in, in, in our conscience against telling the next lie. Every lie that we tell makes us more of a liar and the more of a liar we are, the more we're prone to telling lies. It's the death of our character. It's actually, at some level, the death of your body. There's a growing body of research, psychological and physiological, that correlates a dishonest lifestyle with negative health effects. You're ruining your own health. But 
primarily, and I think this is what James is most concerned with, it is the death of our relationships. Dishonesty destroys relationship. Um, See, James has been writing this whole letter to this community and we as a community have been learning from it about what it means to be the kind of community that reflects and radiates the life and love of Jesus into the world. And James says, if you choose patterns of dishonesty, you cannot be or experience that kind of community. Um, Dishonesty is fundamentally an act of relationship, right? As the ancient philosopher Homer uh, Simpson (laughs) once said, it takes two to lie, Marge, one to lie and one to listen. (laughs) And Homer, honestly, Homer's half right about that, that it takes a relationship in order for dishonesty to take place. Dishonesty is what you do to somebody in relationship. And James has already given us the rule of behavior for relationship. In James chapter 2 verse 8, just one page earlier, James says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. James says the right way to live in relationship is out of a posture of love, which prioritizes the other person ahead of yourself, which looks out for their interests ahead of your interests, which is willing to sacrifice your agenda and you getting your way in order to see somebody else get to experience what is best for them. That's what love is, which means that dishonesty, which is rooted in selfishness, is fundamentally an unloving behavior. It is the opposite of love. It is prioritizing me getting my way at your expense. Whereas love is me prioritizing you getting your way at my expense. Dishonesty is the opposite of love, which means dishonesty is the destruction of relationship, right? It undermines intimacy, the relationships, intimacy and relationships work because I trust you enough to show you my authentic self. And you trust me enough to show me your authentic self. And as I give my authentic self to you and you give your authentic self to me, we get to experience the intimacy of really knowing each other. But what dishonesty does is it undermines that trust. It creates distrust. So now I don't trust you because you're not fundamentally an honest person and you have not been presenting me with your authentic self. And so now because I don't trust you, I can't present to you my authentic self. And then you realize I'm not presenting to you my authentic self. And then you are hesitant to present to me your authentic self. And now what we've done is we put a barrier between us and we've destroyed the intimacy of our relationship out of the fear of being authentic with each other because we don't trust each other because the other person's a liar. It destroys relationship. It destroys relationship, not just through distrust, but through disrespect. Dishonesty is to disrespect another person's dignity. It's to disrespect their right to the truth. It's to disrespect their ability to handle the truth. It is to say, I'm better than you because I can handle the truth, but you can't. It creates hierarchy in relationship. It fundamentally destroys relationship because it's fundamentally unloving. Which is why James says, stop being that way. Choose honesty. 
Choose truthfulness. What does that mean, choose truthfulness? It means four things, I think. Number one, it means that we have to speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We have to learn to become truth-telling people. Not shading stories and manipulating data and making things look a little more favorable for me. We have to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But more than that, number two, we have to speak candidly. No playing games with the truth. No trying to, trying to say something that is truthful enough that the other person can hear in a way that isn't what you mean, but it makes the relationship go better. No playing games and saying things that are technically true, but allow the other person to believe what is not true. Just, not, just being frank about what you think. And allowing the chips to fall where they may. Speaking truthfully, speaking frankly, candidly. It's speaking up, thirdly. Not being dishonest by our silence, but speaking up and confronting untruth when we're exposed to it. Not allowing people to live under the misperceptions of reality through our silence. And fourthly, speaking with our lives. Right? Not pretending to be something that we're not being a what you see is what you get kind of person. Just authentically presenting ourselves to people in the way that we posture ourselves, in the way that we present ourselves without image creation and brand management. Just saying, this is who I am. You're going to deal with it. Speaking truthfully, speaking candidly, speaking up and speaking with our lives. Being people known for our truthfulness. What does it not mean? Well, I'll tell you, there are some things that James doesn't mean. And they're all kind of covered under the umbrella of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where the apostle Paul says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, who is Christ. What is the pathway to becoming mature and Jesus-y as an excuse me, as an individual and as a community? Speaking truthfully. Honesty is the pathway to goodness. But only honesty that is spoken in love. Being truthful people is not permission to be unkind people. It is not permission to speak rudely to people. You meet people like this all the time who are just rude and offensive in the things that they say. And then they hide behind the shield. Oh, I was just speaking the truth. No. You know what? Truth that is spoken not in love is an un-Jesus-y thing to do. And it is not how any of us end up radiating and reflecting the love of life and love of Jesus into the world. There is a difference between speaking a harsh truth lovingly and a loving truth harshly. If you speak truth in a way that leaves the other person feeling like they are not loved by you, then you have not spoken the truth in the way that James envisions it. It doesn't mean that you can speak unkindly. It, it doesn't mean that you need to speak all the truth that you think all the time. Right? It's not permission to air all of your opinions in every environment, to air all your dirty laundry, to tell everybody what you think about everything, about every circumstance and every situation in every conversation that arises. You, you've met people who have an opinion about everything. That's not what James is talking about. Because that's not love either. 
to feel so self-important that you think everybody needs to hear everything that you think all of the time or to feel so arrogant as to believe that you're right in your opinions in every situation all the time. James says, no, no, that's not what James is talking about. You don't need to speak all your truth all the time. It takes wisdom and discernment to know when to speak and when to hold your tongue. And that's the third one, I think, is it's not speaking truth where you don't have the right to speak the truth. Truth that is spoken outside of loving relationship. Throwing truth bombs on the internet is not a Christian thing to do. Um, Speaking truth to people with whom you are not living in loving relationship is not a Christian thing to do. Speaking truth callously to people who are not in a place where they can receive the truth. As somebody who has grieved many times, people speak the truth to grieving people in a way that is profoundly unloving. Be very careful what you say to grieving people because they're not in a place to be able to receive the truth. Be careful what you say to children. Children don't need all of the truth. You see what I'm saying? James says, I want you to be known as truthful people who say what you mean and mean what you say, but always only ever within the context of love. And so what does it mean? How can we take a step towards becoming those people who say what we mean and mean what we say? Here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to keep a diary of dishonesty this week. I want you to keep a log of your lies this week. At the end of every day, whether in your head or on paper, I suggest on paper, I want you to go review the day and I want you to try and identify the four lies that you told that day. Well, if you're a guy, the six lies, and if you're a girl, the three lies, but whatever. Identify the lies that you told that day, but not just to count them. Identify the lies that you told. Identify Uh, the way that you lied and identify the reason that you lied, what you were hoping to get out of your dishonesty as a way of beginning to become aware of our own dishonesty. Do it prayerfully. Come before God and say, you know, God, by your Holy Spirit, show me my dishonesty today. Show me the ways in which I chose today to be somebody who didn't say what they mean and mean what they say. Show me the, way, the places today where I, care, where I cared more about getting my way than I did about being your kind of person. And would you do the forgiving, transforming work in me to continue to shape me into the kind of person who radiates and reflects your truthful life and love into the world? Because at the end of the day, and this really is the good news of the message, the Jesus who came to model a life lived in absolute truthfulness. The Jesus who died on the cross to forgive us for all of our lack of truthfulness. The Jesus who was raised from the dead to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to put his life in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus once called himself the truth. The truth lives in you in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that you could become the truthful person he's created you to be. In fact, even better than that, Jesus has already recreated you to be the truthful person he desires you to be. And now he just desires for you to allow in faith the truthfulness that he's planted in you to pour out of you in your relationships 
with other people in love. May we become the kind of people who live and overflow with the truthfulness of Jesus in all of our interactions as we become like Jesus, someone who only ever says what they mean and mean what they say. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, it occurs to me that our dishonesty is at its heart selfishness, but beneath the selfishness is a profound lack of faith. We don't believe that following you is where the greatest form of life is to be found. Following you in your truthfulness. And so would you forgive us for all the ways that we've chosen and choose something other than truthfulness? And would you help us to see the truthful life and spirit that you've poured in us and allow it, give you permission in increasing ways to pour that truthfulness out of us into all of those, into all of our relationships as an act of radical love, which is what you have done for us. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.